My name is Jason Brand, and I'm the Director of Outreach and Partner Development here at Supply Chain Solutions. So if you are a returning viewer to our weekly ship show, thank you so much for tuning in today. If you are new to our show, thanks for joining as well. So um, we got a little bit of a change this week. Uh, we're gonna It's pretty simple, and we're going to be implementing it. I'm going to be trying to implement it, actually, on this show. So strap in and get ready, because um, while it is pretty minimal... We're hoping that we can make this show a whole lot more manageable for our viewers. So goal is very simple. Um, the idea is we want to try to get all of our information in on a weekly basis in by like a 15 to 20 minute weekly package. So 15 to 20 minutes, get the show started, get the show finished. Uh, make sure you can pop in. You can learn something on a weekly basis, whether that be our general market updates or on a specific industry trend or something we're focused on. But the goal is we want to make sure you can make any meetings you have starting at half past the hour. So um, it's definitely going to be a little bit of a tough switch for us. We've got a few guest shows that have occasionally run a full hour. Um, you know, we get to talking with some really interesting guests and it's, um, you know, I mean, the, the conversation just keeps opening up, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to make sure we can do it. So every week you can learn something new, whether it be from me, whether it be from Anthony or from one of our fantastic guests or one of our internal associates teaching you about some of the areas they work in on a day to day basis. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Let's keep this within 15 minutes. And yeah, so today we've got our infamous freight market roundup. It is a very simple show where we give you a quick snapshot of the market as a whole. And that comes along with some current events that are affecting our customers or current events that are affecting the trade lanes we discuss. Now, I'm going to start with some updates on the ocean shipping market, and then I'm going to work into current events on each of the lanes I'm talking about. After that, I'm going to move into the air freight market. And finally, I'm going to end our discussion with a little talk on the oil and gas markets. Um, little tidbit of facts. So back in the day, we actually brought in the oil and gas market discussion because of the Ukraine war and that effect it had on the oil and gas market prices. What we are going to be doing going forward is I'd like to talk a little bit more about the current events because, you know, there's a lot happening in that realm. Obviously, when we consider like electric vehicles and things, there's a lot of different directions companies are choosing to go and different government incentives. So it's something we really need to keep our eyes on just to know, hey, is it still a good opportunity to go through a oil and gas you know, route? Because there's going to be a heyday for that. And there's going to be moments when regulation is going to make it just burdensome. So we got to keep our eye on that. Anyway, I um, want to give you a tidbit on that, but let's dive right into the show and get going. So. Oceanlands first, as I mentioned, our first updates are going to be on the Trans-Pacific Lane. So our Trans-Pacific Lane is our Southeast Asia, our China, and then that's going to be, we are going to be talking about transporting into the U.S. West Coast. Now, when we talk about these ocean shipping lanes, you have to remember we're focused only on the ocean portion. We're not talking about any of the inland charges. And um, also, these are the rates we have compiled as a team last week. So it's what our customers are paying as of last week, not this week. So if you just got a bill or you just shipped out this week and you just got a quote, it may be slightly different from what we're talking about. But stay tuned for our next show because we'll be covering that then as well. Now, our Trans-Pacific Lane, our average for last week was $2,010. And that was per 40-foot equivalent unit. So that number has actually been slowly decreasing for the past two weeks. But it has been a sharp increase from three weeks back when rates were at 1700 per 40-foot equivalent unit. So the National Retail Federation basically said that peak season is done for this year. 
And they stated that most retailers had finished actually all of their holiday restocking and they did so back in August. So when we look at the numbers, that's actually very clearly reflected as well. If you look at the import numbers month over month, you see there was a spike in August followed by a decrease in the months since. Um, and that's also, you know, needs to be called out. That's very unusual. When you consider peak seasons of the years prior to the pandemic, August is not the highest shipping month. It tends to be a big shipping month, but it's not the high month. So keep that in mind. Now, if we start to think about, you know, on this lane and in general for the ocean shipping market, what the crucial events we need to talk about are and you need to be focused on are, are really these quarterly meetings that we just saw all the carriers come out of and what they've been talking about from the ocean market standpoint. And, it, you know, it's really a statement on the peak season of this year so far. But, you know, to, to put it in a few words, despite the fast declining revenues, carriers have not been able to pull enough capacity out of the market. And they have been able to do so effectively to maintain any of the GRI increases or the general rate increases that they've put in place to try to support these really floor level rates we've been seeing at the moment. If you looked at the earnings calls, which I don't expect you did, they were a mouthful, but they've been extremely interesting for us in logistics. Um, Mayers had a very interesting one and they, they are, we're going to call them the latest casualty. And this follows um, some pretty negative reports from Zim and Wan Hai, who all have been reporting quarterly losses. So Mayersk's CEO, Vincent Clerk, he delivered a pretty grim outlook for the container shipping industry, and he did so during that call. He pretty much warned of a very dire situation if rate levels weren't able to improve, and he said before the end of this year. Now, if you've been following us on this show, you know that rate levels are not going to improve before the end of this year. Even that rate I just mentioned for the Trans-Pacific Lane of 2010 um, per 40-foot equivalent unit, while that is higher than the 1700 that we saw three weeks back, we've, we've been watching that rate go steadily down still. And it will go all the way back down to probably that 1700 point. Um, you know, really, it's a battle between time right now. And uh, that's because, and we'll discuss this in a little bit, um, in January, we've got some new regulation coming in. But, you know, despite that, and despite, I think, what's been the pretty clear knowledge that you're not going to get higher rates before the end of this year, um, he did paint a pretty dire picture if they didn't get rates up before the end of the year. So he also announced that they're going to be cutting another 3,500 jobs from Maersk. And this is on top of the 6,500 jobs they've already cut. Um, this also comes on top of freight waves, um, or excuse me, um, We've had other industry partners who've also been laying off substantial numbers of their workforce. And this is just truly because of um, very low volume that's been happening over the course of the year. So, you know, thinking about Mayersk, remember earlier this year, there was the announced split of the 2M alliance. And Mayersk being now on the outs of that alliance, or at least the path out of that alliance, they've been scrambling with other carriers to lock down as much potential market share as they could. And this is, they've been doing so despite the very flat market conditions. However, these carriers, you know, they're just simply not going to be able to compete with the efforts of MSC. And that's because of all the lost ground that they, they essentially accumulated from MSC when you look back to the pandemic. So during the pandemic, MSC took these record-breaking profits and they went out and bought more ships than anybody else. They built the largest order book for new capacity than any of the other carriers. And then, you know, they announced they're splitting from the 2M Alliance. 
which we discussed in an earlier show, actually puts them in a very beneficial situation because a lot of regulation is aimed at diminishing the powers of alliances. So being out of an alliance actually gives them a regulation or a regulatory benefit in a lot of situations. Anyway, so they built this record-breaking order book. And, you know, currently, even despite this lack of demand, they're still deploying capacity. So just this week, MSC expanded their overall active fleet. And remember, there's a difference between active fleet and, you know, how much has been moved so far this year. This is just available slots. Currently, MSC is an active fleet of 5.5 million TEUs. It's absolutely insane. You can compare that to Hatbag Lloyd, who over the course of this whole year has moved 8.1 million TEUs. Remember, huge difference here, active fleet versus how much they've moved, right? Repeat moves with vessels and things like that. So kind of mind-blowing. Um, and that 5.5 million TEUs, it's not all their ships. I think this is the craziest part. They have 10 mega ships that are just sitting idling right now. They're not included in that 5.5 million number. And five of those ships, they've already announced that they're scheduling to enter the rotation in the next three months. So that 5.5 million is going to increase. And on top of that, their order book is not, it's not done yet. They've got more, they've got more ships entering um, at the beginning of next year. I believe this year, there's no ships that are going to be completed for them for the next couple months, but definitely in 2024, they have more ships entering. So, you know, I, Anthony and me, generally speaking, call the, 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 you know, ocean carrier vessels. We call them the container ship cartel because of, you know, some of the practices that happen. But you do have to say it was a, it was a power move from MSC during the pandemic. And they have really put themselves far ahead of the rest of the competition alone as a single company. They're larger than any of the other alliances. So it's, it's just shocking. But anyways, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the transatlantic. So when specifically shipping from Europe into the U.S. East Coast, our transatlantic lane that we're going to be talking about, um, let's go over rates. I'm going to repeat this again just to make sure it's very clear. So remember, first of all, the rates that we're talking about, they're, they're compiled from last week. Second of all, this is only the ocean shipping portion. On your invoice, you should be able to clearly see what your ocean shipping charge is. If you can't see that or if you don't get a freight invoice, Unless you're shipping from, you know, like essentially a foreign entity to a U.S. entity of your same company, you really want to be in control of the freight now in particular. I had a discussion with someone last week who was paying $18,000 per shipment out of Italy right now in this market. And that is completely, that's, you're getting completely gouged at that point per container, completely gouged. So if you're paying some ridiculous number right now, you need you need to put your at least who's managing your shipping in check because the market is at a point where you should have control of your shipping. You want to have control of your shipping, particularly if you haven't seen big decreases in these numbers. Anyway, um, remember, this is the ocean shipping portion. If you can't see that, you need to be able to maybe request an invoice. At the same point, um, these are the averages as of last week. So transatlantic, as of last week, our averages were $1,250 per 40-foot equivalent unit. And this was the average of our shipments leaving the big three ports in Europe and coming into the U.S. East Coast. Now, um, I've said this before. I've read this more than a few times. I'm going to say it again. The party is definitely over in the U.S. East Coast. And the reason why this is a statement is if we go back to last year when we still had these 
these really pandemic-driven high ocean shipping rates, the one lane that stayed higher than the rest for longer than the rest was the U.S. East Coast. It was actually specifically this transatlantic lane we're talking about now. It still was at $7,500 in February of this year. And that's that's shocking because now we're looking at $1,250. And pre-pandemic, we're looking at between 1500 and, you know, south of 2000, but between 1500 and 2000. So it's $7,500 at the beginning of this year, that lane was still more than four times higher than it should have been given what the rate should have been at. Um, what we have seen since is this is the lane that's been the very steady loser. Um, it, it just does not have the capacity to support itself. And at 1250, we're already operating below expenses on this lane. So, you know, let's give a little bit of history on this lane just so you can kind of see the trend. Obviously, last week we had those averages at 1,250. But if you go back to the beginning of October, our rate averages were 1,340. So 1,340 per 40 foot equivalent unit. And if you go back to September 1st, rates were just a little higher at 1,400 per 40 foot equivalent unit. But let's go back one more month to August rates were at 1600. So it's been a very steady decrease. There's been a series of GRIs. Um, they have not stuck. The biggest thing that's been happening in this lane, and you can see this from really um, any analyst looking at the US East Coast, but particularly the transatlantic, is the blank sailings have not been, it, it's very interesting. The West Coast has seen a lot harsher blank sailings than the East Coast have has, despite the volume issues and things of that nature. Um, there's a few factors leading into this, but we're not going to discuss those today because we're going to keep this show to 15 to 20 minutes. Anyway, um, so I want to talk a little bit more about this. So, you know, this lane could fall even lower than the 1250 it's at right now. And that's simply because, as I've been discussing, the import numbers are just down on the East Coast at the moment. But you also have to remember that a lower price for this ocean shipping portion is not always better. And particularly right now, when you're seeing these below cost prices, you're also going to be seeing from a shipper standpoint, bad service. And we've been seeing it as well. We've been seeing a lot of disruption. And this is because these companies are trying to fill their boats, right? They can't keep a schedule if there's not good, steady amounts of imports. And if, when you can't keep a schedule, it's hard to, you know, essentially have a delivery time period or delivery time frame that's controllable for the end customer. So unfortunately, these, these bottom of the barrel rates, if, if you have the flexibility to, and also if you don't mind, you know, obviously if, if you've got your, um, from your financial terms, if you're trying to stay within a window, this is not the time to be shipping. But if you don't mind going over those windows and your payment periods and such, just dealing with longer than usual shipping times because of blank sailings or rolled shipments, or just issues with the links in the chain because they're not making money, it's a, um, in that sense, if you're okay with that, it's an okay time to ship. But otherwise, just be cautioned. And also, you will see expenses that you generally wouldn't see just because they're going to charge you when they can right now, simply because costs are, well, you know, the price is below cost. Um, in my most optimistic opinion, talking about Europe going into the U.S. East Coast, the future of this lane will start looking better in late spring or early summer of next year. And I need to caution you, this is my most optimistic opinion. I, generally speaking, have been a little bit pessimistic when it comes to recovery times, um, but I'm actually more optimistic than other, other analysts looking at the market right now. 
Um, the ocean carriers finally have getting, gotten to the point where they've realized, wow, this is, a, this is a little bit more painful than they were expecting. And you've heard this over a series of quarterly earnings calls. But quite frankly, what we have is a very indebted consumer at the moment. And that consumer needs to kind of sort out his affairs before he can start buying at a, regu at a regular pace again. Um, so it, it really is a little bit of a waiting game at this point because we need to stabilize the markets. We already saw the union fights happening all throughout the course of last year. When inflation was hitting, the unions were going through their contract renegotiations, and we've seen wages increase in certain areas. So this will help with this indebted consumer. But at the same time, it's also it just needs to be a little bit of time as well. Um, and yeah, with the um, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So but anyway, so really, my most optimistic opinion, late spring, early summer 2024, this lane will start to stabilize. Now, you will see the costs on this lane increase in January, but that is simply because of new legislation on um, you know, carbon incentives coming out. And those are the, the fines and the fees are expected to hit. Um, they're not expected to hit. They are scheduled to hit on January 1st of 2024. So make sure you're keeping that in mind. We're working on some um, software at the moment to help our customers track what their exposure is going to be because every carrier is setting up a different fee schedule. It's a little messy right now. They're, they're not really understanding what they're going to have to pay. Um, we went over this in a previous show and we can link that in the future. But um, each vessel is now going to be given a grade and that grade is going to be um, reflective of their carbon um footprint essentially and better graded vessels are going to have less of a exposure while like vessels that are poorly graded are going to have more exposure but also potentially need to be taken out of service which obviously is going to affect the carriers and and their expenses and such so um there's a lot of there's been a lot of dilemma around that around you know which lanes and what type of cargo and break bulk versus you know container and things like that it's a juicy topic we did do a show on it you need to check that out um, there has not been updates on it since so it's actually still relevant so check that out if you can anyway let's talk about some news so talking about this lack of volume and to kind of add to that bleak statement when you look at the import data it is showing that 151,900 TEUs were transported on the westbound transatlantic in September. And that is down year over year, same month, a staggering 26.8%. And actually, take that back. That's totally wrong. That 26% decrease is not year over year. That's actually 2019 compared to this year. So it's kind of trying to delete the pandemic boom and bust, um, even though we're kind of in the bust cycle. So that's something you've got to consider as well. Anyway, so that's 151,900 TEUs transported in September. Westbound transatlantic is down 26.8% this year compared to 2019. So definitely a huge decrease. I also read that um, October was down more than 7%, but you really see the, the huge decrease in September. Now, Meanwhile, we've got this 2M Alliance split, and that is continuing to be realized with actual action by the carriers. So MSC and Mayersk, they've been untangling their three transatlantic services that link North Europe to the U.S. East Coast. And each carrier now needs to and has a plan to fully staff their own services and increasingly avoid any mixed operations on joint loops. Um, now, the official alliance termination is approaching, but that's in 2025, something you need to consider is, um, you know, 2025 is going to be here before you know it, especially when you're looking in the logistics realm. Now, given that we're at 119, I got to hurry up. So let's keep going. 
So um, a lot of carriers are hinting that a 2024 recovery is not going to be likely. Hapag Lloyd came out with a series of statements, and they are estimating that when the numbers are in, we will have seen a 3% decrease in volume shift in 2023. And that's worldwide. That's not only into the U.S., that's worldwide. And then simultaneously, we're going to be have wrestled with a growth rate of 7 to 8% in available capacity. So that's 2023. Now, furthermore, Hapag Lloyd is predicting that next year, we're going to see an increase of 4% year over year. But that number is still going to be strongly outpaced by available capacity growth. Hapag Lloyd is expecting a 6 to 9% increase in global ocean capacity. Now, that's a pretty big gap. The reason why is it really depends on what happens with ocean vessel scrapping. And that could be increased um, just given the new carbon issues and, and certain vessels being kind of slapped to the very bad grade. They might be more valuable to scrap those than to try to retrofit those. So uh, between 69% increase in capacity already includes a figure for scrapped vessels. So that's not just a total number. That actually is already including that. So really do expect an increase of six to 9% of available capacity while the growth of 4%. So it's been outpaced for two years straight, and that's going to hamper any type of ocean shipping recovery. Now, finally, let's dive into our final ocean shipping lane. That's our China to Europe lane or our Southeast Asia to Europe lane going through the Suez. Now, also, in comparison to other lanes, we've been seeing the lowest costs on this voyage. Now, we did see a very sharp price increase over the past couple of weeks. Our customers are averaging right now $1,300 per 40-foot or an FEU, and um, that is up from a staggeringly low $900. That was our average. $900 is an average per FEU, and we were seeing that throughout most of October. So pretty sharp increase, but again, it's a GRI, and it is not indicative of more demand. It is just an attempt of carriers to support these extremely low below cost rates. Um, let's dive right into air. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on with China right now, specifically when you look at what they've been doing in the EV market um, and some of the dilemmas happening between them and Europe, um, who they've been trying to grow as an EV customer. But we'll talk about that later. Let's dive right into our air freight rates. And I have to say we were totally wrong on this one. So we made the prediction that air freight rates would be decreasing. Now, if you've been shipping air, you've noticed they have not been decreasing. Uh, and that decrease was going to be expected after Golden Week. So um, what we did see, if we go back to Golden Week, is right afterwards, uh, right before, excuse me, we saw a short-term high of 645 a kilo. And then the weeks following, we also saw a high as well of around 650. Um, then we saw a decrease in price. But that was very short-lived because the following week saw the largest price increase we've seen in air freight coming out of Southeast Asia or China into the US. And we saw a rate of 715 a kilo as of October 30th. So almost an all-year high on that lane. Um, right now, we also saw a massive drop. We're down to 660 a kilo, but there's a lot of instability here. My prediction, um, there's a few factors. Air carriers were really working hard to manage their capacity. Um, they did a lot better of a job than the ocean carriers, but it could be argued that they have a little bit of an easier time doing that. So, you know, don't say, oh, you know, look to the air carriers book. Anyway, um, there was a huge release from Meta. Uh, Meta, formerly Facebook, announced um, their Quest 3. It started shipping on the October uh, October 10th, and um, then they 
based on demand, which was a little bit lower, but still interest was high enough that they're expecting three and a half million units to be sold by 2024, or excuse me, by the end of 2024. And all of that is shipping air. And it's also all entirely manufactured in Southeast Asia and China. So it is. Um, it was a lot of volume to get pushed in. It, the reception to that product was actually really good. Um, if you know anything in the VR market space, um, that's probably the hottest commodity. And that announcement kind of took the market a little bit by storm. Now, let's quick talk about oil and gas to keep this show under the 30 minutes because we got to, we got to, <laughs> we should try hard to do this. So, uh, diesel. Diesel has been steadily decreasing over the past couple of weeks. And right now, between the period of October 23rd and November 6th, we have seen diesel prices drop nearly 20 cents. Um, coming down from 454 a gallon to 436 a gallon. Now, with all the focus on clean energy that's been happening lately and emissions regulation, you would really expect these numbers to be rising or at least be staying stable. But actually, with them falling, it's kind of an interesting kind of trend. Also, this is conventionally a stockpiling period. So you normally don't see big price decreases. And especially given that we still have a situation going on in Ukraine, and now we have an issue going on in the Middle East that threatens some of the oil and gas supply. It is fascinating that we're seeing this price drop. Um, there was an article released by the Wall Street Journal just today that broke down the top 20 energy producing nations. And it actually found that despite politicians announcing cuts in greenhouse gases, many of the countries were actually increasing their oil production. A really good example of this is the UAE. So in July, UAE officials said that the country by 2030 would cut greenhouse gas emissions by 19% compared to 2019. But the state-owned Abu Dhabi National Oil Co. just announced this year that they're aiming to boost their oil production capacity to 5 million barrels a day, up from their current limit of 4 million barrels a day. So it's an interesting twist. It's kind of a, remember, it's a state-owned versus what the state was actually saying and really two different directions on that. So something we've got to keep our eye on. Um, and again, like I mentioned earlier, certain areas are going to have regulation benefits for certain periods of time. And, you know, as we're in this kind of interesting period where you need to be strategic, it's good to kind of be in the um, regulations graces while you can. Anyway, thank you all for joining us today. I can see we were at 26 minutes, which is a solid 11 minutes longer than what I wanted to go. I'll try to trim the fat in the show and give you the facts a little bit faster. Um, but I really appreciate you guys joining today. Make it a great week and let's chat again soon. Bye, everybody.